Um, all right, so my name's Kirsten, if I don't know you. And I, over the past, I've been working here for about 13 years. And one of the fun things, I know, one of the fun things I get to hear about uh, in my job is I get to hear about the first I love yous. And these, these stories are always so fun for me because, you know, there's girls that have been waiting for so long just to hear that, like, three words, like, I love you. Um, and they just get so excited, and we get to celebrate together. Um, but my favorite times are when it ends up being, like, the girl who's been, like, trying to hold it back and waiting for the guy to say it first, but awkwardly says it anyways. Um, so there's the, the, like, I've had multiple students do this, like, okay, bye, love you, click. And they're like, oh my gosh, I think I just said I love you. I don't know if you heard me. Um, that kind of freak out moment. The best story I had, and I actually tried to call her to get all the details, but a girl in my core group had been waiting for so long for her boyfriend, now husband, um, to say I love you. And they were driving over Market Street Bridge, and she was talking about something, and she just was like, I love you. I mean, I love Chick-fil-A sandwiches. <laughs> and they avoided that comment for three months, did not talk about it. But there's just something so great about being able to tell someone, I love you. But what's even better than that is to have somebody respond and mean it and say, I love you too. When Jonathan and I dated, we dated long distance, and he told me he loved me when he was living in Maryland, and we were about to leave for his friend's house, and we were in his hallway, and he was like, Kirsten, I love you. So I gave him a big hug, kissed him, and I was like, I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> so then over, over the next two days, um, I was like, I've got to tell him I love him back because I didn't want to say it right away because I was like, well, he'll just think I'm saying it back because he said it, so I want to make sure he knows. But I was like, I've got to find a really special way to tell him I love him. But I could not find this like perfect romantic way. So he's driving me to the airport and I was like, I've got to tell him. So I was like, um, I need gum really bad. Can you stop at this gas station? So he pulls over at the gas station we get out, and I find the most romantic gas pump in all of Washington, D.C., and I tell him I love him um, there at the gas pump. Yeah. Thanks. And every time Jonathan and I tell this story, I always feel so bad because when you tell somebody you love them, it is this really, really vulnerable experience. Yet when that person tells you that they love you back, there is this beautiful sense of belonging that is experienced and shared. Belonging and love are two words that seem so intertwined. To try to explain love apart from feeling like you belong, or to try to explain a belonging without experiencing love seems pretty impossible to do. So, on this Valentine's Day week, as opposed to talking about love, we're going to talk about its good friend, 
belonging. And belonging is something that we all ache for. Like it is wired into our DNA. We want to belong. Yet, a majority of us would say we don't feel like we belong. Cigna did a big like research on people and their loneliness and if they felt like they belonged last year, and they found that 47% of people felt like they were unwanted and didn't belong, which means that probably about half of us in this room tonight do not feel wanted. We feel alone and like we don't belong. And then there's all this research that's come out that loneliness is actually killing us, that it is aiding in heart disease, cancer, that the effect on our health that loneliness has is about the same as smoking 15 cigarettes a day for your entire life. So not only is this topic of belonging something we ache for, but apparently it is something that will offer us life. And in this sermon series, we've been talking about what the world says, what our culture says about things, and what the Lord says. So we're going to be looking what the Lord says and what our culture says about belonging. And how interesting it is that while belonging seems to be a key point of the scriptures, but it is so hard for us to believe that we still feel rejected and alone and single and other than. So tonight, what I want is I want you to know that you belong. I don't want that just to be a head knowledge. I want you to know that truly in your heart, that you belong. And that's not going to mean you're never going to feel rejected or lonely or single. But I want you to know that you belong. And sometimes it is, it is other people that were like, I don't belong because of others. But I think oftentimes we feel like we don't belong because of us. Because belonging demands vulnerability. I think oftentimes we don't bring that to the table. So let's pray. Father God, um, thank you that you tell us that we belong, that you invite us into your family. May we know that to be so, so true. May this truth transform us more into your likeness. We pray this in your name. Amen. Belonging does not require us to change. It requires us to be ourselves. So in that first section of that Romans 8, Keely, if you want to put that up there, um, we read that we belong to Christ, that we are in him. And this is a theme that we find all throughout Scripture. Can you put that, those other passages up there? First Peter says that we are a people in his own possession. Romans says, so then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. 
Isaiah says, I have called you by name and you are mine. We see throughout scripture that we are called his, that we belong to him. But then what God does is he moves another step. He says, you know what? You don't just belong to me. You belong to my church, to my body. Which is great news for us because when we want to belong, we want to belong to something that's bigger than us. We want to be a part of something bigger than us, part of a body. So he's saying, I want you to belong to my body. And there's a lot, a couple different scriptures that actually talk about us being a part of this body. Um, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians quickly. So it says, For just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. We are all made to drink of one spirit. So he's saying that we are all, no matter our cultural background, no matter our race, no matter our wealth or political background, we are all one. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. Belonging to something bigger is this deep desire within us. Belonging to something where we feel authentically welcomed. And this is what this passage is saying, is it's saying, you're part of my body, and these parts, these places that you are, these people that you are, you need to be those people. You, authentically, you is welcome. But we don't feel that. We don't receive that. So why? Well, I think even the fact that Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthians and he's telling them, hey, if you're a hand in the body, don't try to be a foot. Don't compare yourself. You are important. That these people that he's writing this letter to are struggling with the same thing that we are. Where we're like, okay, I'm part of this, but like, maybe I'm supposed to be something else. I should try, try something, something other. So Paul's entering into their cultural moment, a similar one that we have, saying, be yourself. But what our culture tells us is that we should fit in. That we should try to belong by being like someone else, by wearing a certain outfit, talking a certain way, laughing at a particular joke, liking something. Yet when we try to fit in, we become somebody other than ourself. Where belonging is not being other than ourselves, it is being who we are. So they are antithetical. And we try so hard because it's this deep longing in us to belong. We try to gain approval and we do things, we gossip, we put others down. We ignore things that we love so that we can fit in because we so badly want to belong. Yet, as much as we try, even if we fit, we don't feel like we belong. 
because we are not actually known. But when we look at God's picture of belonging, it's this picture in 1 Corinthians of this body that we are all these different parts, that we are to be these people who we are, not someone else. And that means that we're going to be messy and we're going to be broken. That's where that vulnerability comes in. But if we have a whole body of people who are messy and broken, it offers us a really beautiful picture of who God is. These fragmented pieces. We see God's redemption loudly. We see different images and ways of God that we as an individual don't have. We have this better picture of who he is with all of our messiness. And oftentimes it is in this messiness that we experience belonging. So those of you who have been on mission trips, you're like, man, how did I, like I really felt like I belonged on this trip. And it's maybe not because of the mission trip experience, but you probably over that week or those months were literally messy, but also honest and open with your life. You were authentic. You were you. And so were other people. I think of the small group I had in Ecuador in December that there was a high schooler, a 34-year-old, some college sophomores, and all of us were very different. Yet in our honesty and vulnerability and in our authentic self, we belonged to one another. When we try to fit in, when we try to live this belonging in the world's way, comparison oftentimes rises up. And we begin to experience jealousy, and we put ourselves down, and we begin to separate ourselves from these people. But belonging in the Lord's kingdom is one of unity, oneness, drawing people together. So when we experience belonging, it is one that looks like inclusion. And then when we are included, we begin to participate. We, like the body image, we see, we use our hands, we use our feet. So much so that when we are not there, when we're absent, that the rest of the body feels that loss. So I want to encourage you guys, if you are not part of a community that you are stepping into and participating in so much so that when you are gone, that your loss is felt, move towards that. Whether that's here, a friend group, a core group at UTC, move into that. For belonging demands vulnerability to participate. Belonging demands that we choose to trust. The next movement in the scripture here tells us that we no longer 
have a spirit of fear and slavery, but we have a spirit of sonship. And this spirit of fear and slavery is something that occurs oftentimes in the Bible, that this is a theme of Scripture, that we want to move back into the spirit of slavery. And we experience that as well. When it comes to belonging, the spirit of slavery and fear oftentimes looks like a fear of rejection or enslaved to wounds that have been caused by us being rejected. Frederick Douglass has a book called My Bondage, My Grief, and he tells a story about him being freed of slavery, but still living with this fear and this mindset that he was a slave. He isolated himself. He was lonely. He writes that months and months later, he realized, he said, I was still tormented with the liability of losing my liberty. It is this spirit of fear and slavery, even in a free man, that we experience often. And the spirit of fear that we fall back into looks like fear of wounds being brought back up and repeated of these previous hurts that have occurred. So you have been rejected, kicked out of something, abandoned, forgotten about, not seen. So these wounds inside of you begin to dictate your spirit, who you are. Well, I'm just the other. I'm, I'm different. I'm only good enough to be rejected. You live out of these things. And then you begin to create boundaries because of them, these walls. And everyone creates different boundaries. Some people create these boundaries by just isolating, being alone. Some people, people create boundaries by creating an us and a them, two camps, saying you are risky to me, so you are the them, and I'm going to create my own little mini army here to be against you. Some people create boundaries by tearing other people down, making sure that they don't belong, so then at least I can belong if they don't. Maybe I can be center stage. Some people create boundaries by simply clamming up. They're not isolating, they're with people, but they're not opening up at all. And I'll tell you what, all of these things, first of all, none of them sound like freedom, they sound like slavery. Secondly, none of these things bring us into belonging. They're all putting walls up between us and others and us and God. Yet this mentality is what the world is telling us, our culture is telling us, are ways to belong. They're saying belong by having an us versus them. If you are against something, then you're in this other camp. You belong if you're for something, so that means you're against that. Look at the whole world. So we've got sports. You're an Auburn fan or an Alabama fan. 
You're a Republican or a Democrat. You drink Coke or you drink Pepsi. All in our culture is this idea of you belong to something, it's going to be us versus a them. And that is not what the kingdom of this world is calling us to with belonging. Paul in that scripture tells us to put these things to death, to put that fear and rejection, fear and slavery to death, to put on the spirit of sonship. And in light of that, the spirit of unity. That it is not about an us and a them, but about a we. We had an intern a few years ago who, um, it took about six months for us to really get him to change his language, but he would always say this, like, well, what do you want me to do, or what does the house want me to do? Um, and there was this separation of, um, of us and, and him, and we kept being like, hey, you got to use we language, like, you're now a part of the house, like, you are, like, part of this whole thing. And it was interesting, once he began to develop that we language, like, what are we going to do? Like, how are we going to do this? You could tell that he became more confident in his job, that this place began to look more like him, that people truly were able to know him. He entered into this we language. And we see Jesus do this a lot, a lot. He breaks down so many of the cultural us and them barriers. Whether it's with the Samaritans, which were considered these half-breeds, he tells stories and says, no, this Samaritan is your neighbor. He's the good guy. He does this with tax collectors and prostitutes. He breaks down these dividing us-them barriers and says that we are all one. So where culture works to exclude, the Lord works to include. And if we are going to be a part of that, if we are going to belong, we must trust. Trust that God will be in the midst of the healing of these wounds of slavery and and fear. Trust that he has you when you are afraid of the other, the stranger, so much so that you move towards that person with hospitality. Trust that he has hold of all things and you are secure in that. Belonging demands vulnerability. A vulnerability that is not lived out in a spirit of fear and slavery, but out of a spirit of sonship, of trust, and oneness. Belonging creates in us an impulse to cry out. The last section of this scripture says that we've been given the spirit of sonship, of adoption, and we cry out, Abba, Father. And this is this sweet cry. It means, it, this, this cry is this urgent, intense, like, Dad, help! Like, in the middle of the night, crying out. 
but it is also this one that's like just impulsive, like it's just coming out. It's natural. Just like if Jack's had words, like he cries knowing I'm coming. It's this impulse, like okay, I cry and it's received. And it's not just this intense language, but it's also this really intimate language. Abba was this word that Jesus had for, for God, but it was one that he offered to us that actually is more similar to daddy than it is father. And so it's this intense, urgent, intimate, impulse. Abba, father, come. And then he responds. It's a crying out, knowing that there is a response to come. And in light of this cry, he's letting us know that we are adopted into his family. That we can cry out, Abba, Father, because we are his. And this language of adoption is used a lot in scripture because it's super important Because God wants us to know that he wants us, he chooses us, he desires us to belong to his family. So he wants us to get this adoption language. And those of you who have been in in families that are loving and are for you being who you are. You get this. You get this idea of homesickness, that you long to be home because it's just a place where you can simply be you and you belong in our welcome. And some of you may not have been in families that you really feel like you belong, but the family God is talking about is one that you do belong to. That is what he is telling you. And all of us, all of us have been adopted. He's telling you that you belong to his family. I've had a number of friends who have adopted kids, and they've adopted from all different, um, different situations, ages, countries, all of that, Um, and they all have different stories, yet kind of the similar story that I hear over and over is a story um, of when the child, for the first time, calls them mom or dad. And it is this just joyous moment, whether it is in the middle of the night, mom, or this like sly, like, hey, dad, can you help me with this? The parents are just overwhelmed with joy because they know that their child finally knows that they belong. In this interaction, this I've given you this spirit of sonship that you may cry, Abba, Father, is kind of like the I love you. That we cry out, Abba, Father, I love you. And then we are responded to you. Not two days later at a gas station, but right away. He says that the Spirit bears witness that we are the sons and daughters of God. This is I love you back. 
You belong. You are here. He responds with a promise that he will not leave us as orphans, but he will come to us. But our culture tells us we're not supposed to cry out. We're supposed to have things figured out. This is where a lot of that movement into that, that slavery spirit comes, that we have to numb things, ignore our loneliness, not cry out for help, hide it, figure it out, and then I can belong. But that's not at all what this passage is saying. Eugene Peterson translates part of this or translates the whole Bible, but translates this part so beautifully. He says, This resurrected life you received from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant. Greeting God with a childlike, What's next, Papa? God's Spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who He is, and we know who we are. Father, and child. So how do you know if you are living out of this spirit of belonging? You know when there's this impulse in you to cry out, Abba, Father. And that this impulse is adventurously expectant, knowing that he will respond. That impulse seems foreign. I encourage you to cry out. Another way we know that we are living in this spirit of sonship, of belonging, is when we look at what we're following. In the wild, we see that who animals follow shows them who they are. Lions follow the lioness as it is going on its hunting ambush. Elephants follow the female elephant as she is having her child, protecting her, babysitting. And we follow the spirit who we are told will lead us. When we follow him, we are embracing this belonging of the family of God. And lastly, we know we are living in this spirit of sonship, of belonging, when we participate. The very end of this passage says that we are heirs of God and heirs with Christ. We have his inheritance, which means... We have access to God. We have God himself. It also means that we get to participate and have responsibility in this kingdom here. Because can you imagine if you were adopted into a family and every, all the other kids had chores, but you didn't have the chores? You wouldn't really feel like you belonged. So we get to do things. We get to share with the world 
but they belong to you. We have work we get to do as his heirs because we belong to this family. So, what do you do with this? You know you belong to God. You're in his family. So what do you do with your friends? How does that translate? Well, like I said, we don't just belong to God. We belong to his church, to others. And so the principles are the same. Belonging demands vulnerability. So you enter into that with the people around you. You walk into these relationships seeing them as the special, unique person that they are, and you fight to be anything. So you fight to be yourself fully so you may not fit in, but that you may belong and be known. And then you act as an ambassador of this idea of belonging, and you become a person that includes others. That you are part of breaking down this us and them wall. You don't make somebody feel like they're on the outside, but you draw them in. And you break down that wall even in your head, because how often do you say, I just don't belong, like I'm other than them? Knock that down and take a risk. And then you cry out. Belonging takes time. It takes common interests like mindsets. It takes learning about somebody else, learning a language. It may even take failing together to then really be like, I think I belong because I failed with them. But in those moments, you've got to cry out and lean on these other people. If you want and crave belonging, move into this vulnerability with others. And as we move towards communion, we see this picture of Jesus bringing belonging everywhere he went. We see him gather a group of 12 disciples, 12 guys, who are all so different. You have a tax collector and a zealot who are in total opposite ends of the spectrum, and everyone in between. Yet, he developed a belonging amongst this group where they learned together, they ate together, they failed together, but they were united as one around Jesus. And then we see Jesus move towards the cross, and we see him take on this rejection that we deserve, that we are so afraid of, and we see him put it to death on the cross, and then defeat it as he rose again. We see him cry out to Abba, Father, so that we may cry out as Abba Father, so that we may be part of this family 
of God. So tonight, as we take communion, we take it here by coming down the center aisle, and um, you will receive a piece of our gluten-free bread um, with open hands, and then take that and dip it in the cup. But as you are coming tonight, as you're walking down the center aisle, I want you to look at the people you're walking with. People that look very different than you, that you might not fit in with, that you belong. You may be walking down this aisle and see somebody that has rejected you in the past, and I pray that you would pray that that wound would begin to heal. You may be walking down this aisle to take communion, not wanting to cry out, wanting to just stuff it all in. I pray that you would cry out. Jesus invites us to this table, all that are in him. He says, I want everyone to be part of my family. I've sacrificed my life for you so that you would belong to me. You belong to me. He wants you to participate in this family.